It says he's going to work in, in my heart and your heart. Do you believe it? Do you have your Bibles with you? Uh, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 5. I want to dive right in today, James chapter 5. As you turn there to James chapter 5, verse 16, is go about three quarters of the way into the Bible, and then a little bit further, and you'll find your way into James. Um, as, you, as you turn there, I, I like the end of summer, personally. I, I like that feeling because I look out and I see college students back, and we are loving that you're back. And we did pickups this morning, and... Uh, the college shuttle. I don't know another church that sends around a like nice Mercedes murdered out van to get you. Uh, but we, we want you to know we love you and we want to be practical about that love. You're going to get encouraged here. You're going to get supported here. And um, matter of fact, today's a good day to come if you're a college student because we have prepared a meal for you. Actually, we didn't prepare the meal uh, because I don't like church potluck situations. It freaks me out because we're not all created equal in the hygiene like around around cooking I'm talking about cooking some people cook with a freedom that I don't appreciate around my cooking (laughs) and so we brought uh district tacos coming over and they're going to lay out a ton of tacos and uh so we're going to feed you for free just for hanging out with us and we hope that you find community here. We hope you find a family away from your family. And uh, we know God's got something special for you. So that's going on today. The other thing about end of summer, it's fresh start, right? Fresh start. Fresh start for college uh, students. But also for us as a church, it's kind of a restart. And one of the things that we do, uh, that we, we take a, a month off in the summer, but we're restarting next Sunday, it's called Growth Track. And it's that's a series of three classes that uh, really get, they bring you from first-time attender to insider in three weeks. And so uh, if you're like me, I, I come to a, a, an organization or especially like you walk into a church or a community of faith and you want to check it out, but you also want to be part of it. Like you want to contribute. And uh, so this series of classes really helps us do it. We do them on Sunday mornings. And so next Sunday, after this experience, 1130 experience, we'll do the first class. They happen every month. Three classes, a week off. Three classes, a week off. Three classes, a week off. And so uh, the first class that we're doing next week is called church class. And uh, we don't care what order you take them in. Just take all three, and that'll get you there. It won't do everything, but what we try to do in the growth track is we explain everything. We assume nothing. And so right from the start, you can say, this is who they are, this is where they've been, this is what they believe, and this is how I can be a part of moving forward. And that's our heart for you. Not just to sit in a seat on Sunday, I'm glad that you are, but to stand up and be counted, be who God's called you to be. That's when we become everything we're intended to be as a church, when you take your place. So that really helps us get you rolling. Sound good? So if you haven't taken it yet, I'd really encourage you, 1130, after the 1130 experience next week, hang out with us in the growth track class. I teach that one um, so that we can you know, have a connection. Sound good? You got your Bibles open to James chapter 5. I gave you enough time to find it on your device or phone or whatever. Uh, you can see it on the big screen as well. We'll read it together. The earnest prayer of a righteous man, excuse me, I like the New Living Translation. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. You know, it's so short a verse, we're going we're gonna to do like we do, used to do it in the old days in my church growing up. And that's, we're going to read it together. Are you ready? Not monotone. Dramatic monologue. Okay? All right, you ready? The earnest prayer 
of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Woo! Okay, so that's one of those moments. It's rare where you outpace me in enthusiasm. Like I felt it so much so I want to do it again because I want to see if I can come up to your level now. Ready? The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I tried, but I don't know if I did it. It was that good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have a plan and a purpose, and uh, every life in this room is part of it. So God, we yield, we surrender, we, we uh, give you everything that we've been, everything that we're currently doing, and everything we currently are. And Father, every plan and purpose and dream we have for our future, we put it in your hands because you're a good God. You're a great Father. Father, we thank you that you're going to help us today to grab hold of what you want to do. So keep our minds alert. Father, let us not wander in these next few moments, but let us stay uh, connected to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Hey, I want to tell you, uh, just flashback for me, I bought my first car in uh, 1988 when I was 16 years old. And I remember buying my first car, and uh, I didn't come from a, a wealthy family, and it wasn't until later that I found out in the South, a lot of families in the South have a tradition where you turn a certain age, and they provide you a vehicle. Your family gives you a car. Did anybody come from that kind of, I know, yeah, go ahead. You're so reluctant because you think that we're, you think that we're still angry, and we are. You think that we're bitter, but we're not. Uh, And so I'm glad for those who your parents just gave you the keys or the big ribbon moment. Uh, I didn't, I didn't come from that family, so I had to scratch up my, scrounge up my own money, and uh, I went out to try to find my uh, car. I went shopping on my own, and I found a 1978 LeCar. It's Renault LeCar. It's a French automobile called the Renault LeCar. Um, for those of you who might be unfamiliar with the Renault LeCar, I've come prepared with visual aids. Uh, this is the Renault LeCar right behind me. And you wondered why I have so much character in my life. This is the Renault LeCar. It's cute. No, it wasn't. I'll tell you why. Because it was 10 years old. Hardly anything worked. Hardly anything worked in the Renault LeCar. We called it the La Death Trap. <laughs> La Death Trap. That's French for death trap. Um, and it was, uh, you know, just to give you an idea of the level of vehicle it was, I paid $104 for this automobile. $104. Yeah. So one thing I remember vividly about my LeCar is its sound system. And that's probably a generous term. It, it was a tape cassette player. Um, and what I really remember is the speakers. Because it, it wasn't a speaker system. It wasn't even two speakers. It was one singular two-inch box speaker that was aftermarket. It didn't come with this speaker. It was drilled into the top of the console on the dashboard on a swivel. So you and your passenger could diplomatically work out, swivel to me for this song, swivel to you for that song. And we fired it up, and the sound was thin and unmoving. And... uh, it was made by a, a speaker manufacturer that you might not recognize. It wasn't Sony or JBL or any of the big brands. 
Uh, matter of fact, the company now is defunct. I don't know if you've heard of Radio Shack. Well, they made a speaker called the Cracko speaker, which turns out it was a bit of a, is it an onomatopoeia when a word produces the word that it sounds like? The speaker was crackly. And uh, it was not good sound quality. But I'll never forget, I bring it home, and I, I go home, and I call my friends to tell them we're going on a ride. Because all of this tr- transpired on my 16th birthday. Because where I lived in New York at the time, in the day, you could get your license, and you were free to go. Probation came after for all the decisions you made. But you were not on driver's probation from the, from the jump. So uh, on my 16th birthday, I got out of school halfway through the day. I went and got my license. I drive home, I get on the phone, and it wasn't like, you had to go home to call your friends at this point in time. You didn't call your friends or tell, you go home to call your friends. And, uh, and it was, uh, you know, the rotary dial, and I take the phone off the hook, and it's got a 30-foot interwound cord where the devil resides in this cord, and you try to straighten it out as you go to the other room. I said, I'm coming to get you. Uh, everybody get ready. So I pick up the friends, and of course, it's that moment, the, your first teenage mixtape, uh, uh, you know, this is your, it's really the pathhood to manhood for, for my life, where you put the tape cassette in, and we are about to embrace autonomy. It, we are free to drive where we want to drive and listen to what we want to listen. It's 1988, so you know we're going to listen to some Depeche Mode, you know, Duran Duran, Run DMC just came out, uh, and it was big, and uh, there was lots of good stuff. Pet Shop Boys, of course. Tears for Fears. Yeah, you know, I think Bon Jovi came out with, uh, it might have been Slippery One Wet uh, came out that year. So anyway, we're getting off track. (laughs) Really good music, and it starts coming through uh, this speaker. And we, it's thin, it doesn't sound good. And so we start to drive. And what we notice as we drive with our tape cassette in playing, that as we drive, there is the sound of static that increases and it is directly proportional with the speed of the car. So the faster we go, the more crackling and distortion and chaos comes out our singular swivel speaker. And it was then when we realized, you know, we did not have a tachometer that would register RPM in this car, but, but the speaker was somehow connected to the engine. Have you ever heard something like this? And it's just blasting out. So, so at that point, you know, of all the things, I didn't expect a lot from my first car. It was $104, right? Uh, but one thing I think you, you want from your first car is, number one, you want it to get you to, you want it to, get you to where you want to go. And number two, you want to have some enjoyment and peace in the process, right? And, and this one, uh, not only was the music failing quickly, it, the car broke down. And so it failed on both fronts of just basic automobile etiquette. Get me to where I want to go. Let me enjoy the ride as I go. And I want to talk to you this morning because I think some of us, if we were honest today, if we allowed ourselves to be honest, uh, would admit that technically we might pray, but if we were really honest, we're not sure it's getting us anywhere. And, and maybe technically we pray, but if we were really honest, um, in our spirit, in our soul lives, the, the noise level is become consistent and, and proportional to the speed of our life rather than depth of his grace. 
And, and, and when you get into prayer, whenever you talk about prayer, can we just deal with your initial reaction and my initial reaction? Whenever somebody brings up prayer, let's talk about prayer. We all think one thing, I should pray more. And we think another thing, I haven't been very good at prayer. And, and, and can we just incorporate it all by reference and say, yes, we all can live a better prayer life. We can all pray better. And when we read James 5, it says there's a type of prayer that you can pray that is powerful. And it produces wonderful results. There's wonderful results to a prayer life that is tuned in. But when you've lost the fidelity of his presence, when you've lost the connection to his peace, you've really lost access to his power. And prayer opens up his presence, his peace, and his power in, in such a defining way. And, and we, we started with our text today, and we, here we are on this this restart, because next week, as we go into September, we're going to do 21 days of prayer. And uh, it'll be totally social media accessed. You'll just go on the Instagram or, or Twitter and, and, and find the church account, Citizen Heights. It's really easy. And you'll just see three images. You'll see what day it is, the topic we're praying about. You'll see a verse that will build your faith to pray. And uh, you'll have a declaration in the, in the, in the comment to pray a declaration. Because there's something powerful about praying in agreement and in unity, and you do it for 21 days, and we're believing God for a fresh start. Because as I look at this fall, I said, there's, I want to look at four things over the next few months that really encapsulate who we are as a church. You know, there's certain things that I, I would look at and say, that's something we do, but there's other things I'd say, that's who we are. You know what I mean? And, and so we're going to look at we're a believing church. We're going to talk about we're a worshiping church. We're going to talk about we're a serving church. But today I want to talk about, maybe we'll do this for two weeks, uh, we're a praying church. It's who we are. And if that intimidates you, let me, let me help you. Okay, let's get back to our text. James chapter 5, verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, I know... It, you might have this inclination to look at this and, and, and think you don't even get to the powerful prayer and the wonderful results of the prayer because you get hung up on, whoa, the righteous person. And you think that these are words of limitation and words of exclusion when, in fact, these are words of inclusion because the work of the cross is for everybody. And when we talk about the cross, when we, when we read that it wasn't just for my sin or your sin. It wasn't just for your life and my life, but it says for the whole world. Like, this is an invitation not to do everything right, that's not rightness, but to associate and have on your account the one who was perfect, Jesus. And in that relationship, I am found righteous, not in how I do it, not in how, I, how I've performed this week. If you worship this morning based upon your performance this week, Maybe you were like this. I can't go, I can't put my hand all the way up because, you know, the devil had me on the ropes a little bit this week and I said a few things I shouldn't that I regret. And I did. And if you worship in response to how you did that week, you're living in what, what is really known as legalism. You're living in a, in, a, in a framework that says everything you get from God must be earned. But Jesus came, and the, the, the New Testament, is we call it New Testament. It's really New Covenant. It's, it's a covenant of grace. So that means you don't get what you deserve. 
I don't get what I earned. We get what we could have never deserved or earned. We get the grace of God, his loving kindness, his tender mercies that are new every morning. Even this morning when you woke up, you know, the devil might have whispered in your ear, don't go to church. God knows what you did. Don't go to church. You've been slack. You've been living in a certain way. But he comes before the Father, and the Father says, no, no, have you seen my righteous one? Well, have you seen their to-do list, God? Have you seen my already it's done list? God has a response that silences the enemy and the accuser and the slanderous uh, statements that, you, that we hear whispered in our ear. So can, right from the outset, those are not words of limitation. Those are not words of exclusion. Those are words of, of, of multiplication, incorporation. You and I together, we can pray powerful words. We can pray powerful prayers that produce wonderful results. So I want to give you two ideas, and I'm going to have to move really fast because it will probably end up being one idea. First experience got one idea. Somebody came up after and said, if I stay, will you do the second idea? I said, I'm not guaranteeing it. Number one, uh, these are very simple. They'll offend your, your genius. I know you're very intellectual and bright, but you got to get basic if you want to get back to some of the fundamental things that God has for us. Number one is simply this, pray what Jesus prayed. Pray what Jesus prayed. All of us need to, you know, you'll take classes to, to get better at parenting. You'll take classes to, to earn a certification in, in this type of training or that type of uh, qualifications. But, but prayer is something that we should also say today, I can get better at it. How can I get better at it? Number one, pray what Jesus prayed. It's very simple. But Jesus prayed different than you and I pray sometimes. Look at Luke chapter 22. We'll put this on the big screen just for the sake of time so we can move through. But look, he says, at this point in, in, in the book of Luke, Jesus has come to the garden of Gethsemane. He knows that he's about to be taken by Roman soldiers, brutally tortured, crucified, and surrender his life. This was not a mystery to Jesus. He had already foreseen, he knew his call, he knew his mission, he had already foreseen his own death and every detail of it. So Jesus is living in full awareness. Now, understand, the Bible says that he's 100% God. He's 100% man. So although he has the knowledge of God and the, the eternality of God, he still has the emotional uh, connectedness of you and I. So he's feeling the moments of despair, anxiety, as he looks forward to what's about to befall him. And look what he does in Luke chapter 22, verse 41. It says, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond the disciples, where he knelt down and prayed, Father, this is a good prayer, listen, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I know it's coming. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. See, when you pray like Jesus, you have room for yet, not my will, yours be done. We're really good at the first part of that prayer. Father, I've got some preferences. Father, I've got some ideas about my spouse. Now, now, I named him, I've claimed him, I'm awkwardly always around him, right? Uh, job, now. I don't want to be in this job, I want to be in that job. I don't want to have this physical condition. I want to have just pure, God, you said that I would be healed, so I want to be healed now. Listen, I don't know why the, 
the healing hand of God finds some in a moment, finds others after years, and finds all of us in eternity. I don't know why we end up in one of those boxes, but Paul said, I'm wrestling with this thorn in the flesh. I, I don't want to deal with this thing that is in my flesh, but the grace of God is going to be sufficient for me, that yet not my will be done, yours be done. Like, you, we got to have that second part of the phrase or our prayer life, it becomes self-centered, self-focused, self-determined. Jesus prayed the will of God. So what happens, what happens if all you do is pray your own will? What happens if all you have room for is you pray your own will, and if you don't get your own will, then God's not real, or God doesn't care, or God has failed you? See, that puts you at odds with what we know about the nature of God. He's a good God. He's a good Father. So it, what happens, we see in James 4, it says, um, you ask, you pray, um, but you do not receive because you ask amiss to spend it on your own pleasures, your own preference. James says, listen, if you're wondering why your prayers haven't been answered, it could be just possibly because you've only had the first part of the equation. Let this cup pass from me. Let this person come to me. Let this job open up for me. But nevertheless, your will, not my will. See, the Bible reveals, the Bible reveals from cover to cover God's promises and God's intentions and God's nature for you. So when you discover what God's will is, see, Jesus prayed God's will. Jesus never prayed and it didn't happen. One time in Mark 8, he prayed for somebody twice, and we'll cover that another week. And it, it, but understand, Jesus never missed, because Jesus always prayed in agreement with what God wanted. So what are, what are we saying here? Pray in agreement to what God, see, Jesus knew how to pray effectively. He prayed God's preferences. He prayed God's uh, uh, will. So, I mean, we can see in John 5, um, we'll put this up. I'm going to move faster now. But Jesus replied, uh, truly, truly, I tell you that um, the Son of God can do nothing by himself unless he sees the Father doing it. For whatever the Father does, the Son does. You know, John 5, he says, whatever the Father does, the Son does. And later on in John 12, he goes another step. And Jesus says, whatever the Father says, the Son says. Jesus was in agreement with what God was saying and doing. Do you understand what that means? Because Jesus prayed some bold prayers, didn't he? Lazarus, come forth. See, when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, it's because he heard the Father say, Lazarus, come forth. When he looks to the fig tree and says, fig tree, wither, Jesus is saying, fig tree, wither, because he's heard the Father say, fig tree, wither. When he says, arise, go, nobody's here to condemn you, uh, sin no more. He's heard the Father say, arise. Nobody's going to condemn you here. Just keep going in God. See, even in the boat when Jesus says, storm, wind, waves, be quiet. See, he's praying in agreement with what God has already said. He knew the, the key to an effective prayer is simply agree with God. You hear me? Simply agree with God. So if you want to learn how to pray better prayers or pray prayers that, are, that uh, you see come to pass, pray in agreement to what God wants. Prayer is the mechanism by which he delivers on his will. So imagine God has his will up here in heaven, and he says, this is what I want to do. 
I'm just waiting for somebody to pray it. Come on, I'm just waiting for someone to pray this thing through. And you and I begin to pray, and all of a sudden he goes, there it is. It was my will in heaven. Now I get to do it on earth. And the delivery mechanism of God's will comes through your powerful prayers that produce wonderful results. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? See, if my kids want to go to, out to eat after, after church today, which what they'll try to do is get in on the tacos but that, we already told them that's not going to happen. And I don't want to see any of you sneaking in there either. Just college kids, all right? And, and some leaders because I want you to meet some, some of our team. Um, but my kids will come to me and they'll, they, they won't come to me and say, Dad, we want to go out to eat. How's beefsteak sound? My kids will never do that. They won't come to me and ask, Dad, do you want to go to beefsteak? Now, some of you don't know what that means. Beefsteak is a restaurant right here in Tenley Town, And it has neither beef nor steak. It is all vegetables. It's just vegetables. And my kids know. They won't come to me and say, Dad, do you want to go? They'll come to me and go, Dad, you feeling some, uh, feeling some burritos today? Well, I, I do like the sound of burritos. Dad, how about some steak? You want some steak? I do want steak. Dad, how about a burger? Yeah. This is the summer. I mean, we were in Italy. We ate whatever we wanted. We ate gelato every time we passed a gelato stand. And that was frequent. And now I'm paying the price. <laughs> See, they know because our preferences and agreements, I've raised godly sons. They don't want vegetables. They want meat. And so when they ask me, let's go out, you know what, their preferences are mine and my preferences are theirs. The only difference is I'm the one with the wallet. Listen. When you get in tune with God's desires and God's preferences, and you're, God, you see, the, that's why in, in Proverbs says the thoughts of the righteous are right. After a while, your character and God is working on you, and you start desiring what God wants for your life, and you start praying in alignment with that, and God starts to deliver. God moves because effective prayers and effective lives are always looking to agree with God. How do I agree with God? How do I agree with God? How do I do what God wants to do? See, God is always up to something. So if, he, if you are agreeing with what he wants to do, you're put in a powerful place. Guess what? When the Bible says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, guess what? God is revealing one of his, one of his desires, one of his preferences, one of the things that he loves, his church. He loves to build people. He loves to gather his family. So let me tell you how you... you if you set your, your hand to do what God wants to do, you'll be met with success. But the second you set your course against God's will, you, have, you are not just praying ineffective prayers. You're living an ineffective life. You're living out of agreement with God's plan and purpose for you. Jesus wasn't confused about whose will mattered. Think about that. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he still says, what do you want, God? What is it that you want to do? And then he goes to pray. Why would Jesus be praying? He is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God. Yet he's praying because there is a mechanism on earth given to us to release the intentions of heaven. Pray. Pray. I mean, that's when you go, wait a minute, prayer is kind of important. I didn't realize that, you know, when I don't pray... Or when I ask amiss and I don't have that second part that says your will be done, you could literally be missing out 
on God's design in seasons of your life. Pray. Don't process first. Pray first. Don't complain to somebody first. Pray first. You know, don't reach out and, and gossip. Pray about it. Don't rush off and get a different job. Pray about it. Don't move. Pray. Because God then speaks, and then you go, oh, I'm just going to agree with him. Like, he's got this. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He's the all I, he's the I am. He's my all-sufficient one. He's my everything. He's the great counselor. He's the great clock keeper. God knows me and knows what I need. And, and in his timing, it'll be made perfect. See, sometimes we get into that zone where I'm not where I thought I'd be, and I'm not doing what I thought I'd do, and I'm not with who I thought I'd be with. And you get in those moments, and you, and you have this, this is not my will. This is not my will. You know, I've been in the church since the beginning. Where is my wife? Where's my husband? I've been in the church since the beginning. Where's my ministry? And you begin to pray very selfish prayers that neglect the fact that God is the clock keeper. That God knows all those little ins and outs. And you get disillusioned and disheartened in those moments. But can I encourage you, embrace a new foundational presupposition today. That it's okay if it's not your will. It's okay if you're in a season or a status or a station where it's not what you wanted. Do you hear me? Oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach right now. i got like four or five minutes. But listen, because I'm at that age, I'm, I'm getting closer to 50. I'm just like zeroing in. i got three and a half years left. Oh, Jesus, help me. I mean, it's scary. But I realize, I realize people in, in their 50s, maybe 40s, 50s, and definitely 60s, start to navigate midlife crisis. They start to look back and say, Did I, am I really where I wanted to be? Did I really do what I wanted to do? Did I really amass? And we start comparing because you've lived enough years to look and compare yourself among yourselves, which the Bible says never do, but we do it anyway, and we compare. And all of a sudden, midlife crisis comes in because you feel like I'm not, it isn't where I wanted to be. My will has not been done yet. Right? And, and I can see that temptation because I think with years there comes like this sense of, oh, good, nice, good chord. No, that was awesome. Seriously. I'm really going to preach now. If somebody starts playing behind me, it's over. And we got no cars to get out of the parking lot, so it is okay. But listen, like I understand that temptation because I'm a, uh, I just, I get in my own head and I evaluate and go, well, I, I should have been doing more. I've, there's more I can do. And, I, and you drive yourself and you drive yourself and you evaluate yourself and it can lead to like this midlife crisis. But, but I don't think it's just age that does that. In fact, I think there are certain personalities and certain inclinations in some of us that we, we almost live that life of evaluating and, and the more I live, the more I look at this millennial generation and say, man, we what a, what a gift. Because the millennial generation, they have, you millennials have like this drive that I didn't have. You have this focus that I didn't have. You want everything to be connected to meaning. And you want everything to be connected to passion. And you want to find your, your purpose. And you're not, you're not satisfied to just work a know-nothing job. You want to be in the center of, of cause and mission and make a difference. And, 
And I think that's amazing. I really do. But I think your greatest strength can become your greatest weakness if you're not careful. Because for 10 years now I've watched and I've watched this, this thing. Now, maybe older, later in life you get midlife crisis, but I, I feel like I'm seeing like this millennial life crisis where, where it's like, well, I got I to gotta quit this job. Why you got to quit that job? Well, because it doesn't tick the box of my gifts and passions. I didn't know I had gifts and passions until I was in my 30s. Honestly, you're, you're so aware. Thank God you're aware. But can I just give you some perspective from somebody who might be 10 or 15 years or 20 years down the road from you? Sometimes you work a job, and it's a job. Sometimes you work a job, and it does not personally fulfill you. But God has you at work because God is at work because he's got some work for you to do in the people at your work. And he's, at the same time, he's working in your heart. Listen, I've told you before, like, I've had an illustrious career. I mean, the range, you can put me in any room. I don't care if it's contractors. I don't care if it's, listen, politicians, lawyers, dregs of society. I can hang. I've, I've lived in every segment because, and I used to look back and say, I remember as a kid coming into church, and I, I know some people struggle sometimes in church because you get offended. Right now you think everybody's nice, but then somebody won't say hi to you or, you know, they don't return your email fast enough and you're like, oh, I can't believe that person forgot my name, you know, and we get offended. Don't get offended in church. Just keep going. Just keep going. Because sometimes we, we, we get that on, on us and we're like, well, I thought I would be doing more by now. Or I thought I'd be recognized. Or I thought, you know, we just have these ideas. And I remember being in church and, and they said, hey, can you play guitar? And I said, oh, sure, I do play guitar. So I started playing guitar, just a teenager. And then they come and say, hey, can you play bass? We need a bass player. I said, I don't, but I can. I will. I learned how to play bass. I actually discovered a, a joy and a passion. Because I'm actually, I play the guitar, but I am a bass player, and there's a difference. And then they came to me and they said, hey, can you play the vibraphone? And I said, what's a vibraphone? It's just what you're thinking. And it, it's, it's just, a, it's a xylophone, you know, like mallets, but it's got pedals. So you hit the pedals and the notes and you make, and I was like, sure, I'll play the vibraphone. And then I played the trumpet, and then I played the French horn, and I started playing. And, and, and all. And then they started saying, hey, could you teach in kids' ministry? Sure. I learned the Bible teaching in kids' ministry. Like, that's when I learned the Bible, just teaching. I want to do a series here sometime next year and just do a flannel graph series where we just have, like, big flannel graph, and we just, yeah, you because know, some of us, we need some reminders of, of Bible literacy. Because God showed up in miraculous ways in the stories that are told in the Bible. And uh, so I'm teaching kids. And then they're like, hey, will you, will you cut the grass? And I thought, well, I'm offended. Cut the grass? I teach kids about Jesus. You know? Excuse me. My ministry. My passion. My gift. Listen, you just sometimes you stay in it. And little did I know with every little station God had me, had me in, he was doing multiple things simultaneously. God is a wonder of a multitasker because he's refining my character. He's weeding out my motives. He's gifting me and enhancing me in things that are strengths for me. He's identifying to me things that I'll never be good at. 
and as you walk that in, through, through life. And if you looked at my trail, you'd just say, well, it's just a series of detours. You know? Bible college, start a church, and then you're back in contracting, and you're welding. What? Why are you welding? Now you're installing floors, and now you're starting this business, and now you're back in the church, and now you're a de- I don't. Michael, what are you doing? Find your passion. But God knew that he was going to bring me to Washington, D.C., a city of lawyers. He said, now you, now you won't be intimidated because you speak their, their language. And uh, the politics connection. And then I'm going to give you a building that's, that's beautiful but just terribly, ugh, so many things. And you can hang with that because you've been a project manager and you've been in construction. You can handle that. And, and I'm going to allow you to, because you, you've done that before. And I'm going to, because you've done that before. See, God knew what he had designed me for. So every stop was not just, even when it wasn't for my will and preference, it was for his will and preference because ultimately we aligned and my absolute joy is being who God being where God has placed me today. Listen, you might be in the early stages. I remember working at McDonald's, I remember selling real estate, I remember doing construction, I remember doing all these weird little things, but I'm telling you, you put me in any room. Put me in any room. And what I see in some of us, not just millennials, some of us, we go this is toxic. Toxic. I need a new job. No, no, no. You have you have the anecdote for the toxins. Your work is this work. It's kingdom work. It's greater work. It's good stuff. I'm not saying all the time, but when we just react to our preference instead of having that, wait a minute, not my will. God, what is your will in this thing? We'll rush off. Let's get another degree. Let's move to another place. Let's, and we're always escaping, 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 and we reset the clock in a, every time. The greatest thing I ever did is put roots down and just said, God, is this where you're planting me? Yeah, this is where. Okay, my roots are going all the way down. So when I get uncomfortable, it doesn't matter. My roots are down. I'm stable. Uh, I don't like this, this season. I'm not enjoying this work. But I know God is still at work even if I don't enjoy this work. So if he says to be here, I'm going to be here. You see the difference? It builds something that'll last, that is stable, that is strong. We're over time. i got to wrap up. I told you I wouldn't get to the second one. I suspected. But it's a prayer. <laughs> Jesus, not my will, but yours. Come on, Jesus, not my will, but yours. Can I pray for you? Maybe just close your eyes. Jesus, not your will. Not our will, but yours. Jesus, not our will, but yours. Father, we want to be a praying church, and we want at the foundation of who we are a a willingness to say even in the inconveniences, even in the things that are contrary to our preferences, not our will, but yours. Father, because we know you're wise. We know that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We know that your ways are higher than our ways. We know that everything you've planned and purposed for us, Lord, we could not even come close. It's beyond all we could ask, think, or imagine. That's how great our God is in your plans for our lives. 
So, Father, we open the windows of heaven today with a dangerous prayer. God, have your way in our lives. God, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do in our workplace. Do what you want to do in our education. Do what you want to do in our relationships. Do what you want to do in our finances. Do what you want to do. Have your way. We know there's going to be seasons of confinement. So we find strength in reading the story of Joseph. And we move on. We, we know there's going to be seasons of disappointment. So we read the story of Moses. And we pray, have your way. We know there's going to be seasons of neglect, fear, anxiety, abandonment, loss, pain. We read the pages of Ruth and we say, have your way. We know there's going to be moments of betrayal, of feeling alone, regret, passed over. But we see the example of Jesus. Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. This is really my hope and my desire. I'm going to be honest about where I'm at. I'd like a spouse. I'm going to be honest where I'm at. I I feel uncomfortable in my workplace. I'm going to lay my heart bare before you, Father. But then I'm going to give you the ultimate right of refusal to overrule, to be the caretaker and the good shepherd that you are and say, nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. If we can get this in our spirit today, to be a people that prays selflessly, a people that says, yes, God, because these prayers really, when it comes down to it, these prayers that are powerful and that produce wonderful results They're meant for others. God, that we would be a praying church that prays for our friends, prays for the lost, prays for the hurting, prays for the broken, prays for our city, prays for our nation, praying and standing for others. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to declare this over you. There is power in your prayers. When you pray for that friend, when you pray for that coworker, when you pray for that relative, see, make others your concern. Agree with God. He's concerned about people. And when you start praying for people, it's amazing how God begins to work in you. When you start praying for others, it's amazing how God starts to move in your world. So, Father, we're going to pray bold prayers. When we say more, the enemy cannot say less. When we pray freedom, the enemy cannot deliver bondage. Father, when we pray hope, the enemy can't deliver on depression. We're going to pray bold prayers for the people around us. Father, we're going to see you do amazing things in the next 21 days as we learn how to pray 
like Jesus prayed. And this last thing we do with every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity today because the most powerful prayer you'll ever pray is it's not my, not my will, yours be done. Really the most powerful prayer you'll ever pray is not my life, it's yours. Not my life, God, it's yours. I want to give you an opportunity right now and I'm going to count to three and when I hit three, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're saying, Pastor, include me in that prayer of dedication. I'm not going to call you up out of your seat, trick you into standing or try to get you to come forward. But I think there's something very supernatural that happens when there's an outward response to an inward decision to say, Jesus, I need you. You can have my life. It might be the first time you've ever prayed it. It might be a moment of recommitment because if you're honest, you know you're not where you're supposed to be. You're asking questions. You wonder if God is still for you or with you. He hasn't forgotten about you. This is a moment for breakthrough and a fresh start. Are you ready? One, don't wait. Today is the day. Two, Jesus loves you right where you are, but loves you too much to leave you where you are. He's got great plans for you. Are you ready? One, two, three, hands in the air. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, thank you. Man, it's so good. We'll wait just for you. I know it's bold to raise your hand, and but man, there's God has such bold prayers in store for you. You're going to pray and people's lives hang in the balance to the prayers that you're going to pray, but it starts right here with surrender. Anybody else? Say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Praise God. I got you. Thank you. Thank you. Nobody prays this prayer alone at our church with every eye closed, but we're going to pray it nice and loud together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life because you first gave me yours. I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. Thank you that you died on the cross and rose again on the third day and that you forgive me and that you love me and you have a plan for me. So I surrender my life. Now say this boldly, I am a Christian. By grace I've been saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we rejoice with those who just prayed that prayer?